It was a rainy night on the north side of St. Louis. World War II had just ended and the city was in the mood for a party. A young man was on his way home from a celebration and while he knew he'd had a little too much to drink, he was being careful. The roads were wet from the rain, but he knew the way home. He'd driven these streets a thousand times. He even knew the shortcuts, like the one he just turned onto that would take him along Calvary Drive, the street that ran between the north side's two biggest cemeteries. Then up ahead on the right, he spotted something through the rain-smeared windshield. It was a young woman soaked from the storm. She was wearing a white dress and her wet brown hair was plastered to her head. The young man pulled over and offered her a ride. The woman was happy to accept. She climbed into the car and apologized for getting the seat all wet and the man laughed it off. She was a knockout dame. A wet car seat was the last thing on his mind. When the woman shivered, he offered her his coat and she took it, wrapping it around her shoulders. He'd drive her home, he told her, and she offered her a dress. It wasn't far away and they chatted as he drove and he worked up his courage to ask her for a date. A few minutes later, they pulled into the driveway, the house where the woman lived, and he turned to tell her they'd arrived, but to his shock, she was gone. The passenger seat of the car was empty and dry. The car door had never opened. The woman had simply vanished. Not knowing what else to do, the young man went up to the door and knocked. An older woman answered the door, and he explained what had happened. She nodded her head. She knew what had happened already. The young woman that he'd picked up on the road that night was her daughter, but she had died 10 years before in an auto accident. The young man refused to believe it. Even after the woman showed him a photograph of her daughter and it was the same girl who'd been in his car. She told him where he could find her daughter's grave in Calvary Cemetery, but he was sure that the beautiful young woman had not been a ghost. Regardless, he drove to the cemetery the next morning and followed the directions the old woman had given him. And he found the grave. And folded neatly over the top of the gravestone was the coat that she had borrowed from him the night before. The young man was not the first nor the last to encounter the ghost who hitched rides on Calvary Drive in St. Louis. There were so many men who picked her up that she'd been given a nickname. They called her Hitchhike Annie, and she became the most famous graveyard ghost in St. Louis history. Welcome to the latest episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, our second season explores the history, mystery, and hauntings of St. Louis, Missouri, the most haunted city along the Mississippi River. Graveyard ghosts tend to be elusive creatures. While most would fancy a misty, abandoned graveyard as the perfect setting for a ghost story, such tales are not as common as you might believe. 
Most ghost enthusiasts agree that a place becomes haunted after a traumatic event or an unexpected death occurs at a location. There are thousands of stories of haunted houses, buildings, battlefields, and more. And all of them seem to be linked to the events of the past that left a haunting behind. So how does a cemetery fit into the lore of ghosts? A cemetery is meant to be the final stop on a journey from this world to the next. It's not a place where bad things, you know, things that might cause a haunting, usually happen. For this reason, graveyard ghosts seem to be different sort than those who linger at a haunted house. These ghosts seem to be connected to a cemetery in a way that has nothing to do with events that occurred during their lifetime. As most spirits allegedly remain in this world because of some sort of unfinished business in life, this seems to leave out a cemetery as a place where such business might remain undone, if that makes sense. Instead, graveyard ghosts have other things in common. They seem to be connected to cemeteries because of events that happen after their deaths rather than before. They seem to be looking for rest they can't seem to find at a place where their bodies ended up. Cemeteries seem to become haunted because of graves being disturbed, unmarked or forgotten burials, natural disasters that disturb resting places, or sometimes because the deceased was never properly buried at all. There also seem to be stories of spirits who don't want to remain in their graves, wandering ghosts who seem to want to do anything they can to get out of the place where they were buried, even going so far as to try and hitch rides with strangers. But we'll get back to that. With that said, St. Louis does have a handful of haunted graveyards, although I think it should have even more. Well, why? Because the city's two largest cemeteries were literally created by digging up bodies from smaller graveyards and moving them all over the place to open fields outside of the city limits of the day. That seems pretty disturbing to me, and yet those cemeteries are strangely quiet. Of course, that's not to say there aren't others. At least enough to make you a little nervous when passing a cemetery at night and spotting a woman in white standing by the side of the road. People were dying in St. Louis in 1849. The dead from the numerous cholera epidemics were overflowing the cemeteries, and since nothing could be done to slow the spread of the disease, there were more dead all the time and, well, no place to put them. A search began for a new graveyard, one that would be outside the city limits. It needed room to expand, and it needed to be far from where people lived so the dead would not spread any kind of disease to the living. When March 1849, St. Louis Mayor John Darby and a banker named William McPherson found just the right place for a new cemetery. A group of men from all different religious affiliations purchased land far north of the city limits at the time and called it the Rural Cemetery Association. The name was later changed to Bellefontaine Cemetery, or as locals call it, Bellefountain Cemetery. The cemetery was given a peaceful park-like setting by the same landscape artist who had created famous Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn, New York, and he remained at Bellefontaine for the next 46 years. In trying to make it a peaceful place, he had his work cut out for him in the early years. The cemetery's initial growth came from the epidemics that were claiming so many lives in the late 1840s. There were often as many as 30 burials in a single day. 
After a law went into effect that forced all cemeteries to be located outside of city limits for health reasons, Bell Fountain began to receive interments from every church in St. Louis. Over the next decade, as the city grew and encroached on the small graveyards that were scattered throughout downtown, graves began to be unearthed and the dead were reburied at Bell Fountain. Later in the 19th century, Bell Fountain became a showplace for the excess of the Victorian death movement. It's filled with statues, monuments, elaborate mausoleums, and unusual markers. It was the burial place of choice for city leaders, governors, war heroes, writers, celebrities, and the social elite. Under the trees in the cemetery's rolling hills, a visitor can find the graves of William Clark, of Lewis and Clark fame, Sarah Teasdale, William S. Burroughs, Adolphus Bush, the Limp family, and scores of others. The burialgram is also home to a very famous bullet. On August 2, 1876, famous gunfighter Wild Bill Hickok was killed while playing cards at a saloon in Deadwood in the Dakota Territory. The bullet that killed Hickok passed through his back and ended up in the arm of a riverboat captain from St. Louis. He never had it removed. When he died, he was buried in Bell Fountain Cemetery, and today, under a tree in the southeast part of the cemetery, is the final resting place of the bullet that killed Wild Bill. One of my favorite monuments in the cemetery rests over the graves of a St. Louis druggist named Herman Ludes. It's a 12-foot-tall marble statue of a young woman that's been placed in a glass case to keep it from being worn away by the weather. The story goes that Ludes was on a tour of Italy in the late 1800s and met and fell in love with a sculptor's model. The beautiful woman wanted nothing to do with him, and he returned heartbroken to St. Louis. Before he left Italy, though, he commissioned a copy of one of the model's statues. The statue was crated and shipped to St. Louis, where Ludes had it installed in the foyer of his house, where he lived with his wife and children. Not surprisingly, his wife did not approve. When Ludes died, the statue was moved to Bell Fountain Cemetery and placed over his grave. As a side note, I wanted to make sure and mention that Ludes' wife was buried elsewhere in the cemetery in her family's plot. She did not want to spend eternity at the feet of a woman that her husband had fallen in love with. Located across the road from Bell Fountain is Calvary Cemetery, which was started by the Catholic Church in 1857. It was also started because of the cholera epidemics and the shortage of space in the city's Catholic cemeteries. It began six miles beyond the city limits on land that once belonged to Kentucky politician Henry Clay. He'd been a popular figure in St. Louis. He'd helped Missouri become a state and ran for president in 1844. He visited St. Louis a few years after his failed candidacy and was warmly welcomed by city and business leaders, but his main reason for the visit was to sell off a large piece of land that he had called Old Orchard Farm. A big crowd came for the auction, but none of them came to bid, they just wanted to get a look at the famous statesman. Clay hung on to the farm and he built a large home there. It had its own heating plant and indoor bathrooms, which was rare at the time. But despite these luxuries, he didn't live there for long. His wife, Susanna, found the farm to be too isolated and she didn't like St. Louis. So Clay did what his wife wanted and he took her home to Kentucky. Well, when the land came up for sale again, the Catholic Archdiocese realized that it had an answer to its cemetery problem. Archbishop Peter Kenrick bought the land in 1853, established a farm on one half and set the other half aside for a burial ground. 
Kenrick lived in the Clay Mansion for many years, even after the cemetery was incorporated. Like Bell Fountain, the cemetery saw many burials in its early years. All of the smaller Catholic cemeteries in the city exhumed their dead and moved them to Calvary. In addition, Native Americans and soldiers who had been buried at nearby Fort Bell Fountain were exhumed and moved to the mass grave on the property. Calvary takes advantage of its natural wooded setting in rolling hills and is filled with amazing displays of cemetery artwork, like Egyptian-themed mausoleums, angelic statues, and more. It's also the final resting place of St. Louis notables like Dred Scott, General William Tecumseh Sherman, Tennessee Williams, author Kate Chopin, who died from a brain aneurysm at the 1904 World's Fair, and many others. If you've never visited either of these cemeteries, I urge you to go. You will not be sorry. I will tell you, however, that if you come to the two cemeteries looking for ghosts, you may be disappointed. There are only a handful of eerie tales that have allegedly occurred within the confines of these two burial grounds. Most are sketchy, making note of a figure in black that has been seen walking through the cemetery at night carrying a lantern, or there's the man who's been seen peering into a mausoleum along Bell Fountain's millionaire's row of tombs who abruptly vanishes when he's approached. I also discovered a ghost story about Bell Fountain that made the newspapers back in 1894. It seems that five men who were working in the electric rail lines that were being installed along North Broadway at the time spotted a ghost appear from out of the cemetery one night after dark. When they saw the white figure emerge from the darkness and climb over the fence, the men screamed and ran away. And when their boss, a man named John Grimm, returned from his break, he found the welding machine they'd been working on was abandoned. The men returned a few minutes later and told Grimm that they had seen a ghost come out of the cemetery and enter a yard near the machine. Grimm laughed. He'd been working near the cemetery at night for years, he said. He'd never seen a ghost. And then he saw it too. The ghost reappeared out of the shadows and the workmen ran away again. The ghost then took a seat on the welding machine and warmed itself. The frightened railroad workers gathered enough courage to return and discovered the ghost was actually a painter who, after drinking too much, left his home stark naked, wandered through the cemetery, and then hopped over to the fence on North Broadway where he terrified the work crew. He made it back home with only a few cuts and scratches to prove that he'd had a very short career as a ghost. But just because the cemetery grounds don't offer any ghost stories of substance, there is a tale linked to Calvary Drive, the roadway that passes between Calvary and Bell Fountain Cemeteries, connecting North Broadway with West Florissant Road. This is the home of Hitchhike Annie, which is St. Louis's answer to Resurrection Mary, the famous phantom that haunts Archer Avenue in Chicago. Annie's story got started back in the 1940s and persisted for just over four decades. The stories were always the same. Young men in cars picked up a pale, attractive brunette who flagged them down on Calvary Drive or on another street in the surrounding area. She only showed up after dark, and she was always wearing a white dress. After climbing into the car, she would sometimes claim that she'd been stranded or that her car had broken down. Either way, she would ask for a ride and would direct the driver to take her down the street. After that, the story differed a little. 
Some said that she asked to be taken to a north side address, usually within blocks of the cemetery, while others claimed that just as the automobile got close to the entrance to Bell Fountain Cemetery, the girl vanished from the seat next to them. The car door never opened. Annie, as she came to be called, was simply gone. Sightings were regular for years. First-hand accounts came in from ministers, businessmen, even a 6th District police officer, but they seemed to die out in the middle 1980s. If she's been seen in recent years, no one is talking about her. They do sometimes talk about the other ghosts who haunt Calvary Drive, though. Believe it or not, there's at least two more of them. One of them is the ghost of a little boy who is dressed in old-fashioned clothing from the late 19th century. He often appears in the middle of the road when there are cars approaching, forcing them to swerve or slam on their brakes so they can avoid him. But some don't miss. There have been many occasions where drivers are convinced they have struck a flesh-and-blood little boy. As they get out of their cars, frantic and horrified, of course, and search for him, he's gone. The boy simply vanishes. Who is he? No one knows. But perhaps he's related to the other ghost that also haunts the stretch of road. For years, there has been a story told of a ghostly woman in a black mourning dress from the 19th century who also appears along the road, just like the little boy does. Everyone who saw her assumed she was real, someone in a costume, perhaps. She wears a long black dress with a hat and a veil that covers her face. She might be an actor, they think, perhaps doing a program on Victorian mourning customs at the cemetery. The woman has been encountered walking out into the street, stopping in the middle of the roadway, and forcing drivers to come to sudden stops to avoid hitting her. Each time she appears, she vanishes before startled eyes. This woman's identity in life also remains a mystery. Could she be the mother of the young boy? Perhaps he was killed in an accident as he relives his final moments over and over again, and she tries to stop passing traffic on the street so that no other accident occurs. Well, who can say? Regardless, my advice would be that if you do happen to see a little boy or a woman in a black gown go running out into the street as you travel along Calvary Drive, you may want to stop to keep from running them over. But you may not want to offer either of them a ride. Two centuries ago, when St. Louis was still a growing community, little thought was given about the best places to bury the dead. If a family member died, it was common practice to simply bury them in the backyard. When cemeteries came into common use, there was little planning involved. They were started on a piece of land that was donated or not used for anything else. And this lack of planning led to problems as towns like St. Louis and others across the country began to expand and spread out. The dead quickly became an inconvenience. Bodies were exhumed and moved to other places. Well, usually anyway. Sometimes a few bodies were forgotten. Others were left behind out of neglect or just because it seemed like too much work to dig up all those pesky graves. Well, we've all seen the movie by now, so we know what happens when the bodies don't get moved. Located on Hartford Street on the city's south side is Roosevelt High School. In the 1840s, the land on which the school now stands was the site of the St. Louis Commons, a public space for cattle grazing, military drilling, and recreation. But it was soon put to other uses. After one epidemic after another swept through the city, officials began searching for a place to bury the dead, and the Commons seemed like an ideal spot. 
One section of the commons, exactly where the high school now stands, was taken over by the German Evangelical Protestant Church, and they dubbed it Picker Cemetery. The church used the cemetery until 1901 when they closed it. A few years later, with the property in high demand, graves began to be opened and bodies were removed. Records vary, but the last bodies were apparently removed from the cemetery in 1916, or 1922, depending on who you ask. Short time later, you know, after all of the bodies were removed, construction began on the new Southside High School, which was later renamed after President Roosevelt. Almost as soon as the workmen started to dig at the site, they began uncovering skeletons, pieces of caskets, and buried tombstones. As it turned out, no one really had any idea just how many people had been buried at Picker Cemetery. The records had been terrible, and there were dozens of unmarked graves scattered throughout the grounds. Those were the first gruesome discoveries, but they would not be the last. As the years passed, it seemed that every time construction or renovation work had to be done, which involved any kind of digging, more skeleton remains were found. This has continued for decades with no end in sight. So is it any wonder that the high school has been plagued by stories of ghosts? Staff members and students claim that those who are alone in the building after dark will often hear voices echoing in the hallway when no one is present. The voices, they say, are easily heard, but no one seems to be able to understand what they're saying. They're murmuring distant voices that come from everywhere and nowhere in particular at the same time. Teachers and custodians have also reported the erratic behavior of lights, usually on the fourth floor of the school. There have been many occasions where teachers and staff have left for the day, turned off all the lights, and then have seen them turn back on again by the time they get outside. Often multiple trips are made back to the fourth floor to turn the lights off again, only to have them turn back on by themselves. One custodian told a story of having been positive that the lights on that floor were off. He went downstairs and realized he'd forgotten something upstairs and returned to the fourth floor. The lights were all back on again, just moments later. He assumed that it was a problem with the electrical circuits until he walked over to the light panel and saw that all of the switches had been physically switched off. And there was no one else in the building at the time. And this is not the area's only forgotten graveyard. The South Main Street Antique District in nearby St. Charles is a quaint historic area with old original buildings and a fascinating past. This small town along the Missouri River dates back nearly as far as St. Louis does and history has left its mark on the brick streets and the cobblestone walks. History may be the reason why the town is considered to be so haunted and why Main Street is home to so many ghosts, but that's not the only reason. I believe that an old cemetery has something to do with it as well. The first settlers in St. Charles were French and arrived in 1769. A trapper named Louis Blanchet was the first to make his home here and he called the place the Little Hills. The Louisiana Territory was owned by the Spanish for a short time and they named the place St. Charles. Later, after it was sold to the United States, Lewis and Clark outfitted their journey west in St. Charles. Another famous explorer connected to the city was Daniel Boone, who came to the area from Kentucky in 1795. 
He lived south of town and built a trail, Boone's Lick Road, that became the starting point for both the Oregon and Santa Fe trails. He and his wife, Rebecca, were buried nearby, although Boone's body may have been secretly dug up and moved back to Kentucky. But listen, that is a whole other story. But back to St. Charles. As the town grew, most of the settlers were German. They had all heard that the area resembled the Rhine Valley back in Germany, and they wanted to see for themselves. German businesses began to spring up all over town, including a tobacco factory and, of course, several breweries. In 1821, after Missouri became a state, the first Capitol building was located in St. Charles. It stayed there for five years until a permanent Capitol could be built in Jefferson City. Now, lots of history means lots of ghosts, and nowhere is this as evident as along historic Main Street, which lies just a short distance from the river. This brick street is filled with antique stores, shops, and restaurants, and many believe dozens of hauntings. Where history has been left behind, hauntings follow, but on Main Street, it's not just history left behind. Before there were antique shops and wineries, this was the location of the St. Borromeo Cemetery. It was established in 1789 at what is now Main Street. Although the remains were exhumed and moved to a new cemetery on Randolph Street in the early 1800s, there were many bodies left behind and they tended to turn up at the worst times. Every time construction was started on this part of the street, another set of bones would show up, becoming something of a nuisance. The farmer's home building was built in 1805, one of the first to be constructed where the cemetery used to be. Until 1856, it was the Farmer's Tavern, a popular hotel and restaurant, and it saw many uses over the years before John Dingler established his tobacco shop there in 1982. His family had been in the tobacco business since 1917, and John was a board member and president of the South Main Preservation Society and the St. Charles Historical Preservation Society. He was a man who knew his history, and he also became a man who knew about ghosts. He quickly became convinced that not all of the bodies from the old cemetery were ever found. He remembered some work that had been done a few years before when a construction crew dug into a hillside and found at least two dozen skeletons that had been there since the 1700s. He also knew of places, he once told me, where unclaimed remains had been encased in concrete when new building floors were laid. He often said that every building on Main Street had a story to tell, including his own, and in his case, they were ghost stories. It was not uncommon for people to hear footsteps on the stairs or in the hallways of the farmer's home building. Voices were often heard, always speaking in French. During one particularly active period in the early 2000s, John said that a French-speaking ghost seemed to delight in playing tricks on he and his family. Things disappeared and turned up again in other places, and once his daughter saw a pack of cigarettes float into the air and then fall to the floor. The radio often switched stations from talk shows to music, even though the dial never moved. One day, the family heard the sound of a baby crying. There weren't any in the building that day, by the way, followed by the soothing voice of a woman speaking in French. Well, who are the ghosts of the farmer's home building? Well, John never knew for sure, but always believed they were spirits left behind from the St. Borromeo Cemetery. As far as he was concerned, though, they were welcome to stay at his place. Just as long as they behaved themselves, he always added with a smile. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, let's like speak in tongues. 
Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words The first settlers in St. Charles were French and arrived in 1769. A trapper named Louis Jean brought... Oh, fuck, I had that too. Louis, Louis Lanche. Okay. The, don't put that on an outtake. Do not do it. Okay. <sighs> oh, hey, don't read this like it is. Oh, I, I had changed it. Okay, Sorry. good. On my, yeah, okay, I, mine's I, not, I knew mine's that I would. Not changed. Okay. Yep. Fifth, season, fifth episode of season two. Yes. Okay. All right. Episode 18, right? Yes. Okay. Welcome to American Hauntings Podcast, where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and all things paranormal. You are listening to episode 18, which is the fifth episode of season two, which delves into the hauntings of St. Louis, Missouri. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me, my co-host is author, historian, crime buff, and founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Well, this was a, this was a fun one, I yeah, think. Yeah, it was different. Know? It wasn't quite as grim as you would expect a cemetery one to be, I yeah. guess. Well, I don't know. They're just, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. This I mean, one, normally you, the cemetery stuff seems grim, but for some reason, I guess maybe since there's not a lot of it, yeah. you know, St. Louis doesn't have a lot of, you know, famous graveyard hauntings that, mm-hmm. you know, this turned out to be a kind of a lighter episode than normal well, see, it, it did. <laughs> naked naked drunk men posing as ghosts right. and <laughs> it did it did turn out to be a little bit lighter but then there are things about you know mass graves well and there like, is that yeah. cementing it's, over i guess i get so used to that graves. kind of stuff that right. it doesn't doesn't face me as much as it should perhaps right oh this was a light episode there's yeah. only like thousands of dead people so yeah, it was you know. kind of like it's like well they're already dead so it's not like yeah right, right right it's, it's not as violent yeah. so i guess that, yeah we're leaving out a lot of the violence of normal episodes I guess right right <laughs> uh, well before we dive in just a couple quick uh, housekeeping things yeah. we have another live recording coming up at the uh, Haunted America conference in Alton Illinois June 22nd yep. 23rd yeah which is going to be uh, that's going to be that the recording will be fun but the conference itself is going to be a blast well I mean um, well, you won't hear this for a, a, probably a month after you know until we record but so already the conference is more than halfway sold out yeah and so yeah. it's going to be way yeah we're almost two thirds of the way sold out at the time we're recording this yeah. and that's and it's going to be like Cody said a few weeks before you hear this so when you do hear it uh, you're going to know that we're more than two thirds away sold out by yeah. then so 
if you are planning on coming, and, and again, uh, it's, I said this the last episode too, I think, is that this is not me just trying to talk people into signing up for stuff. I'm not kidding. If you're planning to come, you need to get signed up because we are getting, we are getting full. And uh, I, like I said, I said this before, I don't think we've ever had one where we had to actually say, hey, listen, we're full. We can't take anybody else. Right. I mean, uh, so I don't know if that's going to happen this year, um, but it might. Uh, every year it gets a little bit bigger and we like where we're at, so we don't want to lose it. So mm -hmm. we don't want to move it. So we just kind of tell you, get signed up. It's important. So yep. yeah, and you can find you can buy tickets online and all yeah, the websites. Yeah, ghostconference.net is the uh, the conference website. I'll, and, I'll throw uh, stuff in the yeah, show Yeah, sure. Get in and, there and and get your tickets. So awesome. Uh, well, yeah. Thanks again for all the great response we've had to the podcast, reviews and shares. Absolutely. And, um, Absolutely. You know, sending emails and tweets and stuff. And you know, if you have questions or things you want us to talk about or answer, please feel free to to reach out and send us an email, shoot us a message or something. We'd love to take some kind of listener mail type stuff. Yeah. And yeah. And I mean, we do, and we do listen to you. I mean, we, yeah. we send us an email or, or, or whatever, because there's been a lot of things where I think uh, in a recent episode, we had some reason it didn't come up on the website. It didn't update. Right. Oh, and yeah. somebody sent us a message and told us, so we got it up there. Yep. Um, if you would, we, we, we ask you to leave us a review on iTunes. Um, we've had a lot of people who have discovered the podcast just because of all the reviews and stuff. I don't know how it works, but from my understanding is that, that if you can more reviews, you get the easier it is for people to find stuff. And yeah. so if you are, like the podcast and you've got a friend who you think would like it, share it with them, just pass it on. We really appreciate it. Um, this is not, I mean, this is not our job. This is, this is what we do for fun. Yeah. And, but it, it's, it's been, I think one of the fun parts about it is getting, you know, more and more people to listen to it because we can then interact with those people. And yeah. I think that's what's made this a lot of fun. So Absolutely. Yeah, I love hearing from people that, that like the show. And, it's, yeah, it's been great. So thank you again. Uh, all right, you ready to dive Yeah, in? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. If you're ready, I'm ready. All right, so two of the largest cemeteries in St. Louis are made by essentially digging up bodies from smaller <laughs> graveyards. Moving them together, uh, cholera outbreak among well, other and things. you know that was really common, not just yeah. in St. Louis. That's that's what happened all across the country. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it really it started in um, you know after Dead of Winter, I did that dinner with the dead, yeah, and that's essentially what it was all about was wow. all of these you know the stories about how this stuff got started. So this was all sort of fresh in my mind anyway, but um, not to not to get I mean you you can dive really super deep in this. Mm -hmm. And um, not, not, I don't want to get that deep, but what the idea of the cemeteries, the, the two cemeteries that we're talking about really in the show are Bell Fountain and Calvary Cemetery. Mm -hmm. Both are what we call garden cemeteries in this country. Okay. Um, and that started in France. Um, it started in Paris because of the overcrowding in the city itself. You know, plagues and, uh, you know, the, I mean, you're talking about a city much, much older than anything here in the United States, obviously. And going back hundreds and hundreds of years, and you've had all of these bodies being piled up in churchyards 10 and 12 feet deep. I mean, they would just, they bury bodies and then they bring in more dirt so people could be buried in a churchyard, which was the custom of the time. Yeah. Well, as this stuff started to, you know, to spread and, you know, diseases spread and, and the cemeteries were falling apart, that's why they built the catacombs underneath yeah. Paris. But it's also why they began uh, Père Lachaise Cemetery, which was the first real garden cemetery. To make it, it was, I guess, the answer to what we now consider a public park. Um, there weren't any public parks back then. 
So the cemetery was the closest thing that you had. That's why, you know, in the late 19th century, people would go have a picnic at a cemetery because it didn't seem odd to them at all. Because, you know, and that's a whole, we could do an entire podcast series on, you know, the connection that, that we've lost with death over the years. And in fact, if you're interested in that, uh, April Slaughter and I have a book coming out in June called Disconnected from Death, um, nice. which is, that's the subject of it. That's why I don't, I don't want to get too deep into all this. But um, I guess my point is, is that, you know, as people began building these garden cemeteries in this country and in places like in the Midwest, as it spread West, mm-hmm. you know, you had the one in Brooklyn, which I think I mentioned in the yeah. monologue, uh, but there were others that were that were being built at the time, and those were all outside of the city limits, away from where the city would expand into. And in, say, Chicago, there were a couple of cemeteries, uh, Rose Hill Cemetery and Graceland Cemetery, both built on the north side, both built very far from downtown. But because of the some of the epidemics and things, they had buried everyone in what was then known as the city cemetery. And it was right downtown. Um, and a lot of people began to get really worried that the dead were spreading diseases to the rest of the city. And maybe that was the source of some of these epidemics. I mean, nobody really knew for sure. So in the 1870s, they emptied it all out and moved them into these far distant garden cemeteries. I mean, far distant then. Now, you know, Graceland and, and you know, it's a balls throw away from Wrigley Field, yeah. you know. But back then, it was far outside of town. And then City Cemetery actually became Lincoln Park. In where the oh, zoo okay. is yeah. in Chicago. And the same problem they ran into there, as we've described in a couple of these other stories, is city cemetery is still filled with bodies yeah. to this day. They still find them. So in St. Louis, it's the same situation. You had these cemeteries that were located downtown. You had these epidemics. So many people were dying. They were overcrowded. They had to find a place to put them. So they created you know, first with the idea of let's just find a a spot to bury people far outside of the city. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you had a guy step in who had been this landscape artist who comes in and says, well, we can build something really beautiful out of this. And Bell Fountain, of the two, they're they're both both beautiful cemeteries. And there's both really cool, if if you're into that kind of thing, there are really great grave markers and statues. And I I was serious, if you've never visited them, I, I beg you to go. Um, because they are really cool if you're into that kind of thing. Bell Fountain is my favorite. Um, it's just something about it. I, I think because it wasn't a religious cemetery, you could get you had all these different faiths who yeah. were all burying people there. You know, I mean, there's a Jewish section. There's, you know, all of these other different, all combined. And a lot of the art being more of a secular cemetery, you have some really bizarre interesting art in this cemetery some of the statues and stuff are are really amazing and um they also you know the streets were all laid out in these curving paths and they're all given names that are you know very peaceful and very you know heavenly afterlife kind of names and it was there's a lake i mean there's a everything he did he built a public park that actually happened to have dead people in it that's essentially what it is and it's a beautiful place both of them are and, um, but that was the, that was the, the, I, I shouldn't say the fad, but that was the, the idea at the time was to create something beautiful out of the landscape, you know, before there was a parks movement, you know. Um, but then both of the cemeteries then went through in the latter part of the 19th century, went through that Victorian era of celebrating death. So we went from being, you know, kind of 
death was the next door neighbor because so many people died young. I mean, you had 10 kids because half of them were going to die, you know, before they ever reached adulthood. And so people were used to death. And then we went into this period where, where the Victorians were romanticizing death. Um, and, you know, you can blame that all on Queen Victoria. Um, when she went into mourning when her husband died for 40 years, literally 40 years, all these customs were created, all these traditions were created that, you know, a lot of people find very strange now. And we've talked about postmortem photographs mm-hmm. and we've talked about a lot of that. So, you know, we, I'll refer people back to some of the other podcasts. But um, because of that, Bell Fountain especially, and, and Calvary, but Bell Fountain especially is this explosion of very expensive monuments and statues like you, you you're you not going to see anywhere else. I mean, that's why I always encourage people to go there. And I did briefly mention Millionaire's Row, which is the back part of the cemetery where all of the mausoleums are for all of the wealthy people of St. Louis. That's where the Limp Mausoleum is located. That's where, you know, you'll find that, you know, the, the guys who own the St. Louis Browns, you'll find the Wainwright Mausoleum is there, which is fascinating. It's, it's, and it's one of those things I couldn't even get into the story. Doesn't have a ghost story or anything to it. It's just this really cool monument that was created by Louis Sullivan, who was a, a very famous architect of the late, one of the guys who invented skyscrapers, essentially, so he was. The Wainwright building in downtown St. Louis was one of his designs, so he created a mausoleum for the Wainwright family at Bell Fountain, and it doesn't have a name on it. It, It's just this square building with a dome on top, and he purposely did not put a name on it because he wanted people to have to come to the door to see whose it was. So when they get to the door, what they find is when they look in, is the entire interior of the mausoleum is all tiny mosaic tiles. Mm. And it is, it's just, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's the work that it must have taken to create the scenes of, of starry nights and in the dome and the heaven and angels. And there. it's extraordinary. And so there is a lot of the stuff that came out of this time period that is unlike anything that we have today. Because now, you know, once we got into the depression, I mean, that's, that kind of stuff stopped. People don't build mausoleums anymore. I mean, people rarely have, you know, decorative gravestones other than the ones that are like laser carved with your motorcycle on it or yeah. something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it, things have changed so much. And so that kind of makes those cemeteries kind of a time capsule of St. Louis history. I mean, because you can go out there and find anybody who was ever anybody. Mm-hmm. in St. Louis, buried in those two cemeteries. You know, in, if, if they're Catholic, they're in one. If they're not, they're in the other, because that's just where everybody ended up. Yeah, I mean, it says we get William Clark, like the Limp family you mentioned. Um, General Sherman, buried at Calvary. Tennessee Williams, Dred the playwright. Scott, Dred yeah. Scott, uh, Kate Chopin. I mean, there are just so many, Sarah Teasdale, all these people that were, you know, literary people, famous people, war heroes that, you know, they're all buried out there in in one of those cemeteries and it's worth it. I mean, they usually will provide you with maps with the famous places on them, but even, even that it's cool to go see the famous people who are buried out there, but there are so many people who are, are unknown or are so little known that even that only somebody who dives so deep into St. Louis history could, could know who some of these people were, but like every brewer, whoever made money in St. Louis is buried out there and they all have these elaborate monuments, big obelisks and, and tombs. And, but to most people, those names don't mean anything anymore. That's, that's all that's left. Yeah. You know, there's a story somewhere from a hundred years ago about a guy who made this certain kind of beer 
you know, and but nobody remembers that unless you happen to be like a, you know, a beer enthusiast or some kind of collector or something. But if you go out there, you'll see this guy's mausoleum or you see his monument and then you're going to want to find out who they were. I mean, we, we know who the Bushes were, but you've got to see that mausoleum. If you're ever out there, they have their own cathedral. It is built like the Notre, Notre Dame Cathedral, um, but it's this beautiful, tiny details. It's got spires and gargoyles on it and everything. I mean, it has its own like built-in watering system from the early 1900s wow. when Adolphus Bush passed away. I mean, it's this beautiful, elaborate mausoleum. And then, you know, and then down at the other end of the cemetery, you know, there's this limp mausoleum and then all their names are there. It's everybody is there. You know, mm -hmm. all these people that you've heard about or you've heard stories about, there, there's this tangible piece that's as close as we're ever going to get to these people is seeing where they were buried. That's why I always just urge people, man, go visit these cemeteries. They're, they're really amazing. So I, welcome to the cemetery podcast. Um, I like the yeah. idea of uh, getting like a Hollywood star map when you get there. Yeah, instead of seeing yeah, your houses, exactly. You're just seeing all these it's, a, it's exactly like that. It really is. Oh, man, that's awesome. And I mean, they sound... They they sound amazing. I know I've heard of both of them, uh, but I've never I've never been out. Okay, well then, um, then we have something that we need to do together. Yeah, then, so, I, for I, sure. I would love that. I'm sure yeah. you're great. You're probably a great tour guide too. <laughs> um, there are a couple other places that you mentioned I'd like to talk about. Uh, Roosevelt High School. Yeah, is one of them. Yeah. Uh, and it's it seems like it's the poltergeist kind of thing. You know, yeah, buried on, on a, a you know an old cemetery. So. Right, and I like it said that almost as soon as workmen started to dig at the site, they began uncovering skeletons and and, and caskets and things, and it just continued for decades yeah. and uh, you even kind of mentioned like yeah once they removed all the bodies uh -huh. yeah well that always happens I mean and I think we've covered that in a couple of different episodes I think we talked about that and um, I mean it comes up for me it comes up and stuff you know writing all the time you know when you've got these old cemeteries it it was impossible to know how many people were buried I mean yeah. the, the records were not strictly kept and, and especially a place like that you know I mean they they, they hijacked this public area and turned it into a cemetery because they just didn't have any place to bury all these people that kept dying. I mean, you, and you remember when they first, you know, opened Bell Fountain, it was 30 burials a day. Yeah, that's I mean, that's insane. insane. And so it was the same thing going on there on the commons at the time. They were trying to get people into the grave as quick as they could. I mean, because we're talking about the 1840s. There was no embalming or anything going on back yeah. then. So, you know, when somebody died, especially from a disease like this, you know, which nobody knew how it was spreading. They didn't know that cholera was being spread from bad water back then. Nobody had any idea. So for all they knew, just coming into contact with a corpse or breathing the air around it could make you sick. I mean, nobody knew. So they needed to get these bodies into the ground as fast as they could. So, I mean, they're digging holes and, and tossing people in, uh, you know, and maybe somebody wrote it down somewhere, but... 60 years later, you know, yeah. who knows, you know, where that ended up. Yeah. So, you know, things like that are, are bound to happen, you know, For sure. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that every place is haunted because it happens, but it's not really a surprise when you find out that something is haunted because yes. of what happened. And the fact know? that the school, which we already talked about, right. you know, previously, it just yeah. seems like a perfect place. Yeah, recipe. perfect place. And then I'd never, I never knew about St. Charles uh, Main Street, which, yeah. you know, I know Main Street very well, but I yeah. had no idea about um, a lot of the stuff going on there. And I love the farmer's home building. Um, and it talks about, you know, that the French-speaking ghost. Yeah. There, because um, one, I never think about, you know, yeah, I know. Well, of course, there are right. ghosts that speak other languages, right. but I also love that the French ghost plays with the pack of cigarettes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's those, those fun. Well, yeah, and it, I mean, it makes, I mean, 
with everybody, probably everybody was that was buried there was French. Yeah. Um, in that cemetery because that's pretty much all there were at the time until the you know the first 30 40 years of St. Charles's existence was all French and then you had you know some Americans moving in uh, after the Louisiana territory was mm-hmm. purchased and I mean the Germans didn't come along until the 1830s and 40s so by then there probably weren't any German people buried in that cemetery. So right. it makes sense that the, the ghosts speak French. Yeah. You know, like you said, you just don't think about it, though, because Never. this is America. So, right. you know, it'd be to, to French people who have a haunted house, and if the ghost was speaking English, they would be very confused, right. you know? So, uh, you know, that, that makes sense for us here because we think of all of our ghost stories to be these, well— Hitchhike Annie, you know, or something, yeah, you know, and, the, yeah. the girl in the car, that classic American ghost story is, you know, the girl in the car. So that's what we're used to. So when you hear about a ghost speaking French, you're kind of like, what the, you know, right. oh, well, I guess it makes sense. So, yeah. yeah. And you, you speak about Hitchhike Annie. Um, I keep thinking Little Orphan Annie for some reason. Right? <laughs> I know it's not right. And I know I make jokes about it, but like, I, I'm just I, happy to have a ghost not named Mary. That's oh, all. Yeah. I, yeah, that makes me happy. Well, no, that's, so. that's, that's true. But I, I know I make jokes about it, but I would not pick up someone on the side of the road, especially next to a cemetery. Well, I don't get I know. Way. Well, it's a different. Yeah, but I, I know. And I think we talked about this, too. But you're talking about different time. You know, you're talking I about. Guess. Yeah, I mean, you're not these guys or whoever, anybody who would have picked her up aren't thinking about getting carjacked, you uh, know, yeah. in, in North St. Louis or right. something, you know, right. they're, they're thinking of, oh, you know, here's a, it's just a different mindset. You know, yeah. here's somebody stranded on the side of the road. Angel it's in distress kind of it's thing just maybe. like, you know, in the, and we, we think back and we're like, you know, we think of all these people in the sixties who hitchhiked all over the country, never thought a thing about it. Yeah. I mean, I had, I mean, I have, um, and I've talked to people who, you know, hitchhiked all the way home from, you know, getting out of the service. I think, in fact, I think Lisa's dad yeah. hitchhiked home from New York to Illinois, but, and never thought a thing about it. Yeah. Nobody thought about that stuff back then because, you, you know, you're coming right out of the depression. You're coming at a time when a lot of people didn't have cars coming out of the depression where people couldn't afford cars. And if you had one and you see a guy on the side of the road, you should give him a ride, you know, because you didn't have to worry about the Manson family back then, you know, see, that was what, that, that was what killed all that. You know, the end of right. the sixties, you had all these horrible things that happened. People stopped picking up hitchhikers. And then, so by the time I'm, you know, getting ready to drive, you know, and you're, you know, you're always, Oh, you know, don't ever pick up a hitchhiker. Well, who would, you know, it's yeah. not something that would cross your mind, but it crossed your parents' mind because they all hitchhiked. Right. You know, so in the 1940s, when you see a girl stranded on the side of the road, you're going to stop, give her a ride, you know? So it's not, you know, it's, I know, I know exactly what you're saying. And for us to look back in hindsight and you think, what do you, it's a, it's a cemetery. (laughs) There's a girl in a white dress standing next to it with her thumb out. Okay. She's obviously a ghost. I mean, that's what today, that's what we think. But in the 1940s, that would not have been what you thought. Maybe right. until you'd heard this story going around town for 10 or 20 years, then you might have started thinking it was a ghost. Now, see, m- for myself, I would pick up a girl in a white dress, stand on the side of the road by a cemetery with her thumb out. I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even hesitate unless she looked like a serial killer or something. But I guess how would you know, right? <laughs> yeah. So I guess if any if you ever hear that my car has been found abandoned and I'm missing and it's somewhere within the vicinity of a cemetery fear the worst um it yeah. was it wasn't a ghost there you go so <laughs> oh speaking of you know the ghost on that road too it's 
annoying enough that you know one of them is supposed to be a boy because I, I don't like the child ghost but the fact that they <laughs> yeah. stand in the middle of the road sometimes yeah. and yeah. like make a, you stop yeah it's like a squirrel or a deer yeah. or like, right. you know they know. try and make you crash it's like your the car. two rudest ghosts in st louis oh, yeah ridiculous. but yeah it's and, and you know and that's an interesting story when i heard that you know and i and there's the two different ones that are seen at different times mm-hmm. and you know is there a connection i it seems like it i mean i know that i i i kind of came up with that just thinking you know that was just sort of a what if you know what if that was her kid who got ran over by a car and you know what i'm saying and then so her ghost starts showing up at the place where her son died and is trying to get cars to stop you know i i don't know i mean you know it's just it kind of made sense it's an interesting thought you know i'm not saying that that's what it is but it's an interesting thought anyway absolutely and can you tell me more about um jumping around a little bit but you you mentioned one of your favorite monuments um, in Bellefontaine, and it's kind of like some drama with the mistress. Oh yeah, the drugstore thing. Yeah. yeah, you know, and there have been there have been I've heard that story disputed, um, and I've heard it you know that it couldn't be true that it's just sort of a fanciful story. Um, I don't know that that was originally how it was told to me, mm-hmm. and, and Herman Ludy's was. Uh, when I say a druggist, that's that didn't mean he owned a corner shop. It was he was more involved with a lot of different, you know, uh, compounds and that kind of thing. He made a lot of money. Okay. I mean, enough money that he could travel and vacation in Europe, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so, I mean, the story always was is that he met this model. However, I've also heard that, and she she is the basis. I mean, when you go and look at that statue, and if you are into cemetery art, there are a lot of her around. Um, I've seen several different photographs of that exact same model as an angel. I've seen her in various different forms. Same face, same girl. Uh, she was supposed to have been the model for a statue from the 1870s. And if that's the case, then by the time he made it to Europe in the early 1900s, she'd have been like 60 years old. So yeah. it, it seems unlikely. What, what maybe seems more plausible is that he fell in love with the statue, so to speak. I mean, it just, you know, became just obsessed with the look of the statue or something mm-hmm. and just thought, this is my ideal woman or something, which I could understand would piss his wife off, yeah. you know. So, but that that part of the story is accurate. She's not buried there. Mm-hmm. She is buried elsewhere in the cemetery. And Man. it is said, I mean, and like I said, I've heard several versions of this, but it was said that he did have the statue at his home and if you see it, it's it's massive. This thing is gigantic. It's 12 feet tall. Dang. So it's got to weigh a couple of tons. I mean, it's solid marble. It's huge. Jeez. And um, my guess is that, you know, it was, it, the story I heard was that it was in his house and that it was like waiting down the, ruining the foundation mm-hmm. of the house. So when he died, they were happy to get it out of there. I mean, I, like I said, I've heard different versions of the yeah. story, but somehow it ended up on his grave and it is really cool. I mean, it is an, an amazing monument. And I just think the story is funny. You know, if there's yeah. some truth to it, and it's and it may be like, you know, some of the other things we've talked about, a kernel of truth to the story. Right. Um, it's it's funny. You know, yeah. it's interesting. I, I don't know that this, he ever actually met that girl, because it, it seems unlikely based on the age of it. Mm-hmm. But even if so, I guess, I don't know, what would be the equivalent of, I guess it would be like a modern guy having a poster of some model yeah. hanging in his workshop or his garage or something, and you know, right. and his wife hates it, you know. And maybe it's the same kind of maybe it's the 1901 version of you know the the swimsuit model or yeah. whatever, you know. 
I, I don't know, but it's uh, it's still a funny story, and it's it's a fantastic monument. Whether yeah. whether the story behind it is true or not, it's a great monument. It's yeah, just beautiful. That's awesome. I yeah. want I want the job of being a cemetery statue model. Right. There's there's a job that is no longer a job. Yeah. You know, so cemetery statue model. Yeah, they don't have those anymore. Not so. so much. Yeah, it's like building, being a mausoleum builder. Yeah, that's not really a yeah, thing anymore. So. Okay, so before we before we wrap anything up, I've been trying to you know end each show with kind of a more like question of the day type thing that I think a lot of people are you know asking about or people send us in questions. So I want to talk a little bit about graveyards in general and and, and cemeteries about you know why they would be haunted. And I know that and might, this is the it, cemetery podcast. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> it might sound like a strange question up front, but when there's there's a couple different lines in here. Um, that I kind of wanted to go back through. And you say, as, as most spirits allegedly remain in this world because of some sort of unfinished business in life, it seems to leave out a cemetery as a place where such business might remain undone. And then you also meant a cemetery is, is meant to be a final stop on a journey from this world to the next. They seem to be connected to cemeteries because of events that happen after their deaths rather than before. Yeah, so. it's yeah, I, I, yeah. I couldn't really elaborate. I mean, I you you got to keep the monologue, the story right. to keep it moving, and that's something that I, I've. Uh, hassled with for years. I yeah. mean, as long I think as I've been interested in, in ghosts and you know strange phenomena and stuff. Why cemeteries? You know, I mean, it's one thing when you've got Hitchhike Annie or Resurrection Mary. You've got this girl who doesn't want to be dead, who's trying to get back to places that she loved in life. That that seems to be that seems to be a common kind of story that goes with cemeteries. But you know, you you do hear stories all the time about people who have these you know, weird encounters inside of cemeteries. And back in the early 90s, when I first started to do a lot of ghost hunting stuff, um, you know, going out to cemeteries and that kind of thing, and people would go out there and, and take a lot of pictures. And, you know, that was when people started talking about orbs and all that. And we've already been through this. And I wasn't even yeah, going to say that. Word. Orbs are not ghosts. Okay, that's, you know, let's just leave it at that. But, you know, so all of these things came up, all these haunted cemeteries. Well, when you're wandering around out in a grassy field full of pollen and taking pictures of it with your flash camera, yeah, yeah looks like cemeteries are haunted. Um, I don't think that most are. I mean, I think that's a fairly rare thing, and I really think that any cemeteries that, that are haunted or do have ghost stories attached to them, and there, there are plenty out there, but I think that that has, as I mentioned, more to do with things that have happened in the cemetery after people have died rather than before. Because as you mentioned, and, and that's what I threw there in, in, the, in the monologue, is that you know ghosts stay behind because of business they didn't finish. So what is it that you're doing in a cemetery? Right. Or you know they stay behind at a place like a battlefield where they were killed, where their the, life ended suddenly, where or where happened. someone was murdered. Right, exactly. So what is it that's happening in a cemetery? Who Who... Very rarely are there murders committed in cemeteries. I mean, it happens. I mean, I can say it never happens. Good place to do it. And I've actually, well, and I've actually, have, that's something I've, I've kind of documented that a few times over the years. It, but it doesn't happen very often. You know, most of the time, you know, when a cemetery gets a reputation for being haunted, it's because of the things I mentioned about, you know, graves being moved, bodies exhumed, you know, houses built on top of cemeteries, or, you know, um, when, when cemeteries are desecrated. I mean, for instance, a Bachelors Grove Cemetery in Chicago, that was just a tiny little cemetery out in what became a you know, forest preserve until people started going out there digging up graves and knocking over tombstones, and then suddenly it got this reputation for being haunted mm -hmm. because the energy's been disturbed. I mean, even if you leave out 
leave out all the metaphysical ghost crap for a minute, okay? Just we don't want to worry about ghosts. Let's just talk about just energy. Okay, so you've got a place that is sitting and has been sitting all this time and you come in and start stirring everything up. You know, you have disturbed the atmosphere of that place, um, especially in violent ways like knocking over tombstones or digging up graves. You, you've messed with the energy there. So it's not surprising that suddenly people start having experiences or seeing things or hearing things or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but that seems to be something that happens quite a bit or natural disasters that, that do the same kind of thing. You know, and that's when you start getting cemeteries that are alleged to be haunted. That was interesting you know? when you talk about the natural disaster. I never thought about that, like a tornado. Yeah, or bring, flood. Yeah, floods, yeah. floods seem to be a big thing, too. Yeah. They come in, they knock over gravestones, you know, unearthed graves. You never know what's going to happen, you know. So suddenly you get all these weird things that are taking place after the energy has been disturbed, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, I mean, I think that that really is the majority of haunted graveyards. I mean, there are plenty of good stories that are isolated events, you mm -hmm. know, of murders in a cemetery or a woman who haunts her grave or, you know, you, you, you get that kind of stuff. But I think in general, you know, speaking on a wide sense, I think those are the reasons why cemeteries, you know, become known as haunted places or ghostly places, yep. you know, and, and they're spooky. To yeah. a lot of people, it's of a spooky course. spot. Of so course. it's it's great fodder for urban legends, and, you know, or for any kind of legends or lore because a cemetery is, you know, nobody wants to. It's the one place nobody wants to go. You know, it's it's fun to go out and explore, and I'm urging people to go out and see these cemeteries for all the artwork and the design that's there. But who wants to become a permanent resident? Nobody does. So right. that is the spookiest place that you're ever going to find is an old cemetery. Not necessarily because it's haunted, but boy, does it sure seem spooky. Right. So. And yeah, and you have a, a pretty good story. If, if people want to listen to uh, our episode 11, when we talk about Halloween and stuff. Uh, right. You, you have a good... My own personal yeah. ghost story. Yeah. yeah. So I urge you to yeah. go check that out. That's a, that's a good, good story. <laughs> so, well, okay. I guess let's wrap this up. Yep. Uh, let's wrap up this week's episode of Cemetery Podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It's the American Hauntings Podcast. So... Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll apologize just a little if you didn't need all of that cemetery information. Um, and I'm not going to plug the book again, but it does come out in June. Um, but and it's called Disconnected with Death or From Death. Jeez. From Disconnected. Well, you know, it's you know April's this. book. I just helped her. Ah, okay. So I, she is, the, she is the, the architect behind it. Uh, it's Disconnected from Death. Um, but anyway. Um, but thank you. Thanks for for. Thanks, Cody, for tolerating my... He'll probably edit all this out. You probably won't even hear most of this. Troy's going to talk for two minutes. Yeah, it, it, I, I actually talked for an hour and a half on <laughs> nothing but cemetery artwork. So if you didn't get that, blame Cody. It's his fault. So anyway, um, but thank you again for listening. Thanks for all your reviews and for supporting the podcast. It has been a lot of fun, and it gives us a chance to do stuff that we would not ordinarily get to do in our day-to-day. -day. I mean, I'm probably closer to it day-to-day -day than you are, but yeah. even so, this is not something I ever envisioned doing. So it has been a lot of fun, and I'm enjoying it. And, you know, we'd probably still be doing it even if you weren't listening. But yeah. since you are listening, we do appreciate that. So anyway, I'll, uh, I'll give it back to you. The American Hauntings Podcast is a way to combine historic record, folklore, science, observation, and imagination to uncover more about America's most haunted places, including St. Louis, Missouri. 
American Hauntings is a bi-weekly podcast. You can hear new episodes every other Tuesday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and receive a brand new look at history and hauntings. You can learn more about our podcast and find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com, where we also have links to some of Troy's books, as well as information about his upcoming ghost tours, events, and haunted happenings. As for your host, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CodyBeckSTL or at CodyBeck.com. You can find Troy on Instagram at Troy Taylor Graham, on Facebook at the Troy Taylor Author page, or at AmericanHauntings.net. This episode of the podcast was written by Troy Taylor, and it was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. Some of the music in this episode was written and recorded by Charlie Brockus at Lighthouse Sounds in Alton, Illinois.